Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Sometimes I get beat up by things in my past. You know, every once in a while, something comes back. Something will remind me, reminds me of things that were a part of my life before I came to Christ at 19 years of age. Things that were in my life after that for a while. And it's just like, And it's almost always accompanied by that little voice which is, is just part of my old self that you know, still crops up and it was fed by uh, Satan, however he has done that. And it's like, it, it comes and it says, you see that, you remember that? That's who you are. That's the way you are. Now that's not true. But do any of you ever find yourself thinking thoughts that aren't really true? <laughs> That's the whole part of the Christian life is beginning to identify those things. But those things can really beat us up. I mean, sin is ugly. Sin is terrible. Sin is damaging. Hurts us. It dishonors God. It, it, it hurts the people in our lives. And so when we remember those things, it can be grievous to us. And the enemy wants to then Destroy us with it. So we need to know, what's the truth about this? And so we've been in this sermon series, Conversations with Jesus. And last week we began looking at two different conversations. And, uh, but before, before I talk about that, let's just talk a little about how, again, how it is that sin tends to, from our past, and remember it tends to beat us up. And it, it really... Um, goes in two directions. One is we, well, it's, it's all driven by fear. We find ourselves fearing judgment and fearing shame. The judgment aspect is mostly in our relationship with God, and we think, in fact, I hear it from you when we talk sometimes and from other people, and occasionally I think of myself, but the things that are from your past sometimes are so big and so bothersome to you that you keep thinking at some point you're going to have to pay. You know what I mean? And so when something bad happens, what do you start to think? Oh no, it's finally catching up. And so we fear this judgment. God is somehow judging us and we can even fear that other people are going to judge us. And that really rolls though more into that second thing we're afraid of and that's shame. What would people think if they knew and we feel shame. And so when we feel that kind of shame, these fears, what do we do in our lives? We build what? Walls, don't we? We build walls sometimes from other people. There's certain things we just don't open up our lives to other people. And we also build walls back here to try to hide this stuff or whatever. And we're not free. And God's intention is that we live free and that we walk freely through life, led by the Spirit. And so these things are really a problem to us. So we looked, began looking at two conversations uh, last week. And the first one was Jesus and the woman at the well in Samaria. And we're not, I'm not going to go back with the whole thing, but you remember his conversation with her? She was kind of surprised that he was even talking with her. She was there in the middle of the day because 
her past had damaged relationships and made her fear shame and, and judgment so much so that when all the other ladies went to the well, she didn't. She timed her going to the well when nobody else was there. But Jesus knew she'd be there and he met her there. But in the, the course of this conversation, Jesus tells her, and he's really, he's bringing this conversation to be about himself because she needs to know him. She needs what he alone can give her. And, and so he says, well, go get your husband. You remember? Go get your husband and bring, bring him here, and I'll tell you about this stuff. And uh, she immediately goes, um, I don't have a husband. <laughs> this is the whole reason she's here in the middle of the day, not earlier, because she doesn't want to have to face this stuff, doesn't want to have to deal with it. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband, because you've had five husbands Five failed marriages, and the person you're living with now is not your husband. You're not married. Man. And uh, what's interesting there is Jesus doesn't pursue that any further with her. Instead, he takes this conversation. I mean, he has her attention now. Would that get your attention? You know, let's think about it. We got these things in our lives that we think maybe nobody knows about. You know, maybe you got stuff in your past before you came here and you came to Christ and your life is being changed and you think nobody knows about that stuff, right? But what if all of a sudden you're talking to someone one day and they said, oh, by the way, and they told you they knew all about it. You'd go inside, wouldn't you? Okay. So he has her attention and he begins talking to her and finally brings her to the point where he explains... I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the one that you need. I am the one that you're waiting for. But he didn't bring it up again. He didn't bring up her past again. The second conversation we looked at was the woman caught in adultery, a much shorter conversation. You remember that the religious leaders of the day who were trying to catch Jesus in something so they could accuse him, uh, they brought a woman and put, him before her, put her before him and said, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act the law, Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trip him up and find something. And basically, Jesus just didn't respond to them. You know, he says he knelt down and drew in the sand. And, and, and finally, you know, they kept asking. And finally, he stands up and he says, okay, whoever's without sin, you throw the first stone. And they were so convicted by that that one by one they, they walked away because they knew and what's amazing, he looks at this woman, he says, he says, where are your accusers? They're gone. And Jesus says some amazing words. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's amazing, isn't it? You understand, that's you and me there that he's talking to. But so we talked about what was missing from these two conversations that we would have expected. I mean, five marriages failed, now you're just living with somebody, and the other one's actually caught in adultery, you know, I mean, that's a terrible sin, hurts so many people. And what's missing from this conversation? There is no condemnation from Jesus in this. And we say, that's huge, isn't it? That is huge. And, and so we looked and saw in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, there's therefore now how much condemnation? No condemnation, zero condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When a person comes to Jesus Christ and trusts Him as Savior, those things that we sang about here, we sang about the cross. 
When Jesus went to the cross, he died on the cross bearing the penalty, the guilt for every sin that we have ever committed or ever will commit. God did condemn sin. He condemned sin when his son died for us. The penalty has been paid. And therefore, once we receive Christ as Savior, our sins don't ever get held against us ever again in eternity. As far as our relationship goes with God, sins are no longer an issue. He has condemned sin. It's been paid for. And I'm not condemned. And you are not condemned. There's no condemnation and Jesus said this right after John 3.16, which he knows so well. He says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Because Jesus knew he was going to die on the cross and pay the penalty, take care of all the condemnation, so that we could be free. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And so what we said is that when the past jumps up, you know, and looms up, and, and, and there it is, and it's hitting you hard, and, or you're afraid that people are going to find out, you're worried about, you know, is God getting me back, which he's not, or, you know, people in the shame, all that kind of, you're struggling with that. The most important thing you could remember at that point in time is that you are not condemned. Say, I am uncondemned I am uncondemned not because of me but because of what Jesus did and when he said it was finished on the cross guess what it was finished and so we find ourselves out here in life and, and when here's the difference it makes so, so when those accusations come in our mind or the fears and, and the struggles the biggest baddest judge in the whole world, God, leans in, and if you listen, he'll whisper into your soul, uncondemned, uncondemned. That'll change how you deal with those things, won't it? Now, you might say, that's great, Walt. Okay, I get it, theologically. But that doesn't change what I'm dealing with right now, right? It doesn't change what I'm struggling with. How in the world do I deal with this? I mean, let's think about this. Uh, the woman who had been married five times and was living with someone who wasn't her husband, she had, even after she realizes she's not condemned, she's what? Still been married five times and all the fallout from that and living with someone she's not married to and all the fallout that comes with that. She's got that to deal with. The woman caught in adultery cannot go back and be uncaught in adultery. And whatever the ripple effect from all those things were. But nonetheless, in the middle of all those things, it, it gets changed. Because again, when you're dealing with those things, and, and we're going to see something else from the Word here that's going to be helpful, but when we're dealing with those things, to have God, the Spirit of God within us, Say, uncondemned. That could give you hope to keep going, couldn't it? Instead of being owned by it. But there's even more that, that you can do in how you respond. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. I'm going to continue in this story a little bit. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible with you, we'd encourage you to follow along in the one that's in the pew there. 
will be on uh, page 1224, page 1224. So this is this woman caught in adultery. No, excuse me. This is the one with the well, the one who's been married five times. And Jesus, after he brings us up, doesn't condemn her. It is what it is, right? And that's why he came. He, he wants her to come to the point of understanding who he is. Verse number 25 of chapter 4. It says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Christ. I am the one that you need to know, the one that you've been waiting for. And this continues and it says, and at this point his disciples came and, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And now let's, let's move down to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. I want you to see what's going on here. Early in the story, she is avoiding people. She's at the well in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to have to deal with people. Why? Because of her life because of her past. But now things are different, aren't they? Things have changed. She has met the Savior. She's met the, the Christ. And it's changing. She's come to believe that this man is who he said he was. And now what is her life about? Her life is now no longer about trying to navigate the past, no longer about trying to hide from that. Her life has now become about Jesus. It's about him. And that changes everything. And you notice that the people in the town, though the more that she lives this life, my life is now about him. You need to hear him. You need to, to get to know him. I think he's the one. All of that stuff, what happens? All of a sudden she's having it, interacting with people on a different basis, isn't she? A different reason. So when, when you think about how do I deal with this sinful past of mine, not only do you want to get the truth, let it sink down in your soul, I am uncondemned, then instead of living your life in the, uh, you know, trying to keep the past hidden or navigate all that, instead, let's turn away from that and let's start making our lives about Him. Walking with Him, knowing Him, sharing Him, living for Him, serving Him. And it'll, it'll free you more and more from that. It wasn't just her story. Go to John chapter 8. The other woman's story. The woman caught in adultery here. Let's start in verse number 10. We're on page 1232 in the Bible that's in the pew. 
12.32, verse number 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then he turns to the subject. He said, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So he has taken this woman who is now very clear. He said, I don't condemn you. And he has drawn her attention where? To him. I'm the light of the world. Follow me. Walk in the light. And the more we walk in the light as we make our lives about him, the, the less the darkness of that past can affect us. See, so we, we're not only am I, I'm not, I'm uncondemned, I am also, now my life is about him. My life is about him. And by the way, it's not just in the conversations with Jesus that we find this. The Apostle Paul talks about this in, in 1 Timothy, and it should be up there on the screen if we can get to that. The Apostle Paul here, when he was writing to Timothy, the first letter that he wrote to him, said these words, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor of Christians, and a violently arrogant man. However, I obtained mercy. Uncondemned, right? I obtained mercy. And almost immediately he goes to this. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. His life is now what? About the one who saved him. And so Paul really saying here, I'm uncondemned. My life is about him. And when you do that, you will begin to experience this freedom from your past. And these three words, there's two phrases, but three words, uncondemned and about him. Can you say that with me? Uncondemned about him. Can you remember those words? Remember those words in life. And every time that past looms up and you're reminded of how you have failed, how you have sinned against God, even how people have been hurt, all of those problems, uncondemned. I am not condemned. All right, I need to make sure even more now that my life is about him. And he'll free you more and more from those things in your past. But now the question becomes... What about those sins that are not in the past? You know, I um, think about the sins in my past, and like I said, once in a while they you know, loom large. And, and, but I tell you what, what I find myself struggling with more these days is the sin that I committed this morning. I'm not confessing to you right now, okay? The sin I committed last night. The sin that I committed last week. Last month. How do we deal with that? Because I don't know about you, that seems to me these days much larger to me. Much bigger. uh, Much darker than what was way back there in my past. Now if I want to compare the sins, I might say, oh, those are much worse than today. Because I have changed. 
But nonetheless, the sins today, to me, man, it just, it's so heavy. Does anybody here relate to me what I'm talking about? And I don't know why this, I don't know if it's, you know, it's somehow rather we feel like the sins from, from the pre, in the present now are worse. Worse than those sins in the past. And I think maybe, you know, maybe it's because we think, I ought to know better by now, right? I, I, I shouldn't be here anymore. We, we have this, this mindset about it. And some, somehow rather, you know, the sins in the past, at least they're in the past, right? They're way back there somewhere. Now this one's here today. And, and so we think it's worse. Now, when we do that, we make two big mistakes that will work against us. By the way, truth is crucial to living the Christian life, right? Truth is essential to living life the way God intends it to be lived. And so if you're believing things that aren't true, it's going to mess you up. And so we make two mistakes with respect to the truth when we feel like what's happening to me today. And let me just stop. If you had to confess openly to someone what happened 20 years ago, or what happened 20 minutes ago? Which would you find easier? Most of the time, it's what was 20 years ago. This other one, there's that whole shame thing, right? But two mistakes, and the first one is this, that when we think that somehow rather those sins that are long ago, they're not as bad. They aren't as bad because, you know, nothing else, they're way back there. Uh, I... We make a mistake because guess what? Those sins that were back there were horrific. They are terrible. They dishonored God. They damaged you. They hurt the people in your life and they require Jesus to do what? To die for them. Don't fool yourself. Oh, that's in the past. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal with respect to being condemned. But when you lessen the sinfulness of that sin, you're messing yourself up. The second mistake is that we somehow rather think that the sins of the present are bigger and worse. They aren't. They are exactly the same kind of sins that Jesus went to the cross and died for. And sometimes here's the way we think. We think, okay, yes, I was a really bad sinner, and, and maybe you were, maybe you, you, terrible, how you lived your life, and then you came to Christ and you changed, Whew, okay? That was before I came to Christ and right after, that's, that's one thing. But this has happened since I've been saved. And we get it, that I ought not live this way. We, we, we feel like that's a big problem somehow. But I want you to see something that maybe can help with this. So back here is when Jesus died for sins, right? I'm going to build this timeline with you. And so let's say here we are. We're born. Okay, we're born. We're born with sinful nature. We live it out. And let's say here we come to Christ and, and it's all forgiven, right? And here we are down the road, maybe years later, and we sin. And we think, oh, no. And we feel that whole sense of condemnation again, all those things. But I want you to see something. So here's where I got saved. Here's where we are today, struggling with sin. Here's when we were born. Here's when Jesus died. How many of those sins in, were in the future when Jesus died? All of them. 
That means he died for the sins that I committed since I was selfish and I was born and as I grew up. And, and when I got saved, you know, I received the benefit of that, of his death for me, all forgiven. And here I am today. And so when I sin here, did Jesus die for these sins too? He absolutely did. Now open your mind here and your heart. He died for these sins that I haven't even committed yet. He died for all of them. He knew about all of them and died for them. Well, that means that we can just go out and sin freely then, right? Now, here's the deal. When, when you come to Christ, and we talked about in the first of these uh, conversations with Jesus, that a relationship with God requires a spiritual birth. And so when we uh, come to Christ and receive Christ as Savior, and, and He changes us deep down inside, and He changes us in such a, such a way, it is so transformative that really when that happens, we don't want to sin anymore. Deep down inside, we don't want to sin. We still got lies that we believe. We still have baggage that we struggle with. And so we do sin. We're a work in process, right? Work in progress. But deep down inside, we don't want to sin anymore. So knowing that I've been forgiven for my future sins doesn't make me want to go out and do them. It makes me grateful. And, and the Bible talks about this. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about these. He talks about this grace of God in, in uh, first, uh, first, excuse me, Romans chapter Five. He said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Is that good news? How much sin in your life? God has more grace. Then he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. No. Translators have, have struggled to find the best way to translate that phrase. Uh, it's, it's, it very literally is, 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 may it never be. The King James translators chose the word, God forbid. <laughs> no, we don't want to do that. Uh, John talks about this as well. I believe it's, yeah, John. He says this. He says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All sin. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. It leads us to not want to sin. But we do. We still do, don't we? As Paul says, we find a law that here we want to do what's right, but then inevitably someplace along the way we don't do what we know is right. We do what we shouldn't do, we don't do what we should do, and, you know, and we feel beat up. And we can start to feel that sense of condemnation again. John also said this. He says, and if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the satisfactory, all-sufficient payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So here I am, I get saved, I'm living down here, sin comes into my life. I mean, I, I make the choice, I'm responsible, but it's, it, and it's overwhelming. But what do I know? What do I know is true? The Holy Spirit says, uncondemned, make your life about me. And it's at those moments when I find myself, when you find yourself 
like we're thrown on the floor in front of everybody and said, sinner, and here we are. Remember these words. Somehow, some way, I got this over the years, was taught it, whatever, and it's just so helped me. Those times when I find myself having failed, it's, wait a minute. This is why Jesus came. Doesn't make it any prettier. Doesn't make it any better, the sin. But this is why he came. I can get up again and do my best to make my life about him. What does the enemy want you to do when you sin? The enemy wants you to say, condemned, 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 no hope, I can't make it. And to give up, that's what he wants. But no, I am uncondemned. This is why he came. And I can get up again and continue to work to make my life be about him. And it sets you free. By the way, sin really matters. Okay, it does matter. It's a terrible thing. You want to get it out of your life as much as you can. If you find yourself struggling, 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 can't beat it, get help. Let us help you. But you're uncondemned. And then the promise, we all know this verse, most of us here know this verse, uh, where John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to clean us up again. Here I am. I've sinned. I feel condemned. The Holy Spirit whispers, uncondemned. Make your life about me. Make your life about the Lord. And I get up there and he cleans me up and lets me go on. So the question comes. We talked to this uncondemned. Make your life about him in the past. And so here we are in the present and we sin. How? Do we deal with that? Exactly the same way. Three words. You want to say them with me? Uncondemned about him. And as we live that way, we won't be defeated. We'll get up, we'll keep going, we'll do better, we will grow. This is good news. It's extremely good news. And now let me say this to you. Church, church family, let's think about this. If Jesus didn't come to condemn, that's what he said, right? I didn't come to condemn but to save. Ought we to be condemning people? No, we ought not be condemning people. And that means we ought not be condemning people when we see moral issues in our society that we know are reprehensible. But we don't be condemning people. They're already condemned by their own sins, right? We aren't to be condemning. We're to be trying to see them get saved. And, and, and where this is, I think we have to watch out, is it's when we wander into the realm of politics, Christians. I hear it on the news, I read it places, I see it in social media. We Christians sometimes are the quickest to talk in condemning ways about things that we disagree with. You can talk about things you disagree with without being condemning. 
But it's so important, folks, that we meet people the way Jesus met us. Without condemnation, accepting us just the way we are, and then going forward from there. That's the kind of church that we need to be and that will speak the gospel loudly to the world around.